So the big question is this. How can runners like you, who aren't professional athletes or paid sponsored runners, avoid injury and increase athletic performance to enjoy running race events for the rest of your life without wasting money on trends or using dangerous painkiller drugs? That is the question. And on hashtag Run Pain Free Podcast, your host, sports biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio, gives you the answers. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Run Pain Free Podcast. I am your host, Jessica Marie Rose Leggio, and in this podcast, we are talking to Nick Littlehales. He is an elite sports sleep coach. He's worked with athletes all over the globe, and we talk about everything that has to do with sleep in ways you've probably never talked about sleep before. So tune in and also find your way to the description of this podcast, where you will find access to his advanced interview session with us that we did with him in the Marathon Training Summit, as well as all of the other experts that were in that amazing event. Enjoy. Well, hello, Nick. Welcome to the Run Pain Free Marathon Training Summit. We are speaking with Nick Littlehales all the way from the UK. How are you, Nick? I'm very well today. It's a beautiful day in the UK. It's hot and sunny. So that's a little bit strange for me to cope with because we don't get that sort of weather, but I'm absolutely great and it's fine. That's wonderful. So we are talking today about sleeping and there's no one better, honestly, in the world to speak with about sleeping besides Nick. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you some background. Nick is recognized as the world's first and leading elite sleep sports sleep coach, probably the world's first sleep coach and regarded as a leading human recovery innovator. He has over 35 years experience within the sleep and sleeping product industry and over 22 years dedicated to elite sport. His unique, passionate, and proven approach is endorsed by leading sports science professionals, managers, coaches, organizations in sports, and now business, health, and education worldwide. As a former aspiring professional golfer onto international sales and marketing director of the Slumberland Group and chairman of the UK Sleep Council, Nick has conducted many practical and clinical research projects into the varied sleep habits adopted by the modern day sleeper and athlete. Nick is the author of a groundbreaking and revolutionary number one best-selling book, Sleep, published in the UK in October of 2016 by Penguin Random House and is now published in 15 different languages worldwide. Sleep sets out to debunk common sleep myths as well as educating the reader on his revolutionary R90 human recovery technique, considered to be a game-changing performance tool that many refer to as a paradigm shift in our human recovery approach. And this is the book we're talking about, Sleep. It covers everything soup to nuts for real. And I'm gonna get right into it. In the late 90s in your book, Sleep, you say that the press actually coined your title, Manchester's United Sleep Coach, how can you explain the, how this career came about for you? Um, it was just a combination of things, to be honest. It was, um, you know, being involved with the sleep industry for, for many years in different sort of forms, as, as you've just described. I was always a little bit fascinated, inspired or confused by this, this thing that's so important to us. Uh, and the research and our awareness of it, but it was just always taken for granted and um, not considered a performance criteria. So it was kind of this thing you just did at the end of your day when there's nothing else left to do. And uh, even working with the clinical side, uh, professors of sleep and 
professional experts in sleep. They didn't have a sort of definitive guide. It was just, well, you know, there's so many variables. So, you know, we can point you in the right direction, but uh, that's it. So I think I just had a little, you know, midlife crisis in my 40s. Uh, decided, you know, I've done a lot of things in the world of sleep and just found that they, they never really had an impact. So I was going to go off and do something else. So I was in a sort of 12 month, you know, company director's contract sabbatical where I was just twiddling my thumbs, employing people and waiting to move on. And um, I just happened to get an opportunity to sponsor the, the soccer shirts for a local football team. Um, it seemed like a nice thing to do. Uh, the workforce all supported the local you know, soccer team, so that seemed a nice thing to do. But it, it's sort of, we put this sort of sleeping company on the front of a soccer shirt, which back in the late 90s was a bit surreal. Um, that involved me with one or two conversations in the world of football, soccer, and um, I ended up bumping into Manchester United, which was another football club just down the road from my offices in the UK in Manchester. And we just started having a conversation. And while the, the, the club and the players and the physios and everybody, they're all sleepers just like us, but they were not in the sleep industry. So I, I just was passing on some of my, you know, the myths, the misunderstandings or the, or the key factors that might help. And, and I think it was any other club at that time. Uh, the manager, Alex Ferguson and his team were, were very much more open-minded to, you know, human performance. Uh, so it was just complete coincidence of a set of circumstances. So my company was not in, not in the slightest bit interested with what I was doing. Um, the Manchester United at that particular time, uh, you know, shortly after I started having dialogue with them, they went off and did something quite extraordinary which was win what's called a treble, which is, you know, two cups and a league. So they absolutely dominated football in the UK. And um, the team was very much dominated by homegrown UK players, pretty much. You know, they, they are referred to today as the class of 92. And that was a group of young players who, uh, you know, people like David Beckham, who most people know. Um, and so we just started dialogue and it was, there was no sort of technique. There was no sort of structure. It was just, well, maybe we could look at that. Maybe we could look at that. Maybe that might have an impact. And a lot of those players played for the national squad, the England national team. So they went along to uh, a World Cup in France uh, in 1998 and a lot of these players started to pass on what they'd learned from me to the England squad and the head the lead physio for the England squad the physiotherapist uh, a guy called Gary Lewin was also shared with his main club which was Arsenal football club and uh, a new manager had just arrived called Arsene Wenger who was a French manager and he had a completely different attitude towards human performance, right, in, in, in the world of football. So that created a little opportunity. So they started thinking, we started doing stuff, and then they said, you know, will you start educating, you know, Arsenal Football Club? 
Arsenal Football Club was different to Manchester United because they had a multicultural team. You know, Spanish players, Nigerian, German, French, Czech Republic. Mm. So there's a much broader set of cultures. So you start really sort of thinking about how that all works in the same place at the same time. And so, unfortunately, you know, back then it was all about the press. There was no social media. So the journalists simply put, you know, coaching. That's what happens in sport. And this guy's talking to them about sleep. So these pampered multimillionaire footballers have got somebody who's a sleep coach. <laughs> what on earth is that about? So it, I sort of woke up one morning and realized that was me. And, you know, putting to side the the sort of jokey element to it, you know, he's reading them bedtime stories, tucking them in, I don't know. What on earth is he doing? But it was sort of then I sort of realized that, you know, if if that's what I am, then maybe I should try and, you know, define a role for that. And so it was very haphazard uh, wow. in the early days, you know. We're talking about teams of young athletes, yeah. you know, male dominated in those days. And um, and it was we had some fun, you know. But it was <laughs> it was um it was a great sort of period of time because there was no sports science. You know, all the stuff we've got today, Jessica, yeah. is unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. Back then, we couldn't even, you know, send a text. Right, right. Uh, um, so, it was such a different world. So, to be thinking about things like Pilates, yoga, peripheral vision, uh, heart rate variability, you know, the, the list is endless. Just wasn't even in the conversation. Correct. So, I think those things just fell into place and it wasn't, you know, I didn't set out to be that person. It just happened. Yeah. And from that particular point, two decades later, you know, here we are. That's amazing. You literally, that, mean, that is the epitome of innovator, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just have to say that. Like I was, I graduated high school in 96. So I, I was, that was when like soccer here, football there be, started to become a boom because it wasn't big here um, no. until later. And when I was in my early twenties, then that's when I started had like all these little kids were starting to do ASO and they were starting to really get into it here big time. So I remember hearing about David Beckham and then bringing him, they were going to bring him over here. I remember that whole transition and how that created like a huge boom here. So yeah. you really were ahead of so many so many ideologies way back then so many i suppose it's just you know it, it's always i think it's it's really strange and sometimes overwhelming for me that you know some two decades later 20 odd years that people are asking you to reflect on that process and because you didn't have your you know your phone and the camera and taking pictures and making videos yeah it's like you're thinking did that really happen i don't know um, <laughs> but you can only sort of draw into that whole process and it, it's sort of weird and fascinating that uh, all along that particular route um, I suppose that's why sometimes I have to accept that I'm a bit of an innovator or you know as somebody described me as a world-class thinker what on earth is that about but I, think, I think what would have happened is nobody would have joined the dots up right exactly yeah it just wouldn't have appeared in front of them they just go 
Oh, I don't know what I'm doing. Da, 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 off I go. There's no such thing. You know, you couldn't turn around and, and call, you know, Jessica, the sports league coach in the US. You know, you couldn't do it. No, totally. There wasn't anybody. <laughs> You're kind of looking in the mirror going, what is this job? What, how do you do it? Uh, how do you make it work? Um, will it work? What actually am I doing? So I think at that particular point, most people would have just run away. Yeah. Did you have an, a passion for athletics or was it really sleep driven and trying to have them just giving, imparting your information for recovery or rest or performance? What, what was it for you that really helped, um, made you want to really dive into athletics and deal with athletes? <laughs> I think it was just, I was a failed sports person. You know? mm. I, I did absolutely anything you could throw at me when I was a teenager, anything you could talk, you know. I did the sports nobody else wanted to do, you know. Um, and I just wanted to be a professional athlete, anything, whatever sport it might be. As long as it was sport, I'm happy. Um, but I sort of had a little, you know, I had one or two little... So I think the, the thing was is that sleep is such a boring subject. <laughs> You know, it's just, nobody cares about it. It's taken for granted. It's not even a performance criteria. Nobody's even looking at it, yada, yada, yada. Did you get a good night's sleep? That wasn't that bad, okay. So it was just boring. And uh, so I think the, the principle there was just, hang on a minute. I can talk about this boring subject, but if I can just, you know, put it in a different box, give it a different colour, change the language, then I can actually work in sport. So it was nothing more than, I'm going to football clubs, I'm talking to physios, I'm with athletes and players. So it was almost like a sort of midlife crisis. Now I'm an athlete. <laughs> By association, I'm a sports sleep coach. Yeah. Amazing. And it was nothing more that I could actually go into the world that was not available to me, you know, a long, long time ago uh, in that particular point. So it was just, just simply selfish that I was able to walk into some of the best places on the planet where the majority of all the normal people on this planet wouldn't even get close to. Right, totally. And you were able to use what you wound up doing instead of being an athlete as your gateway into it, which is amazing. Yeah, so if I'm sat in Thierry Henry's bedroom, <laughs> with elite footballers on the planet, and, and I'm sat in his bedroom talking about sleep and recovery and products and stuff like that, I'm in heaven. Right. You know? And he's let me into his bedroom. I mean, how many service providers allows you to get that close and personal? Right. You get paid. Right. And get paid. Right. And you know what? Sleep is boring to everybody. You're right, but it's essential for an athlete. So they're the ones who would want to talk to you about it too. So it kind yeah. of was hand in hand. Yeah. So I mean, some people, some business organisations, they go to the world of sport, like celebrities, to to create that sort of upper marketing image to influence everybody else. You know, like you know, David Beckham wears these underpants. Da 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 da. Right. But um, for me, it was maybe if. The world of elite sport, not just everyday sport, but the world of elite, if they take this, not seriously, but if they're a place where I can develop, you know, 
my techniques and their understanding, then they will have an influence on maybe a broader. So whilst I was in a sleep industry that really didn't care whether you slept well or not. Got it. They didn't care. Right. Well, there's probably here that we could actually turn it into a performance thing. Yeah. And one thing about athletes is, you know, you don't have to tell them to eat well or exercise or be committed or to take on coaching techniques or new equipment or new training programs or psychology. You don't have to do any of that because that's already ingrained. All you focus on is how do we get you from A to B? That's it. That's it. Wonderful. So let's go into your R90 sleep technique program. Can you briefly discuss how you've developed this over the last two decades that you've been, and probably more, I would think, than two decades, but that's what's on paper. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, sometimes it does feel like two decades, three decades, uh, particularly when all the grandchildren are running around the house. <laughs> Granddad, you know, I'm thinking, have I really reached that point? <laughs> I'm not Nick anymore. I'm Grandad. Okay. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. so it's awesome and sort of reflective, isn't it? Yeah. There you go. Um, I think one of the, it was just it was extremely difficult to to talk to any group of athletes. Um, their perception of sleep is like we all have. It's sort of a Immediately you mention sleep, they get this perception uh, that it has no real value. It's, it's sort of over there, nobody gives a damn. So you, the first thing to do is to try and without making things up was how you could redefine it. And the one particular point which seemed to resonate really quickly uh, with the athletes and coaches and their developing schedules, right? Because it, you know, through the last two decades, things have really changed. I mean, we've gone nuts, haven't we? We're busting in every single area. Uh, we've got 24-7, multimedia sports. We've got things just... So athletes were just being run ragged, right? Right, agreed. Uh, and it, and it, it's sort of like it's a non-human approach to the athlete. Oh, just, yeah, yeah, we'll do that at 11 o'clock at night, that at 3 o'clock in the morning. We'll travel through these time zones, da da so in the early stages, there was none of that going on so much in the late 90s, but it really started to come in quickly. And one of the things that I've always listened to was when you're looking at sort of clinical side of sleep, uh, there's this, you know, lots of things, there's probably people listening to this and know more about it than I do, but it's called a polysomniograph. And, and they take the brainwave patterns, they look at the various stages of sleep coming from the frontal lobe of your brain, in a clinical environment and a lot of the professors that I you know worked alongside looked at that in 90 minutes so they'd look at that data for 90 minutes and then benchmark it against the next 90 minutes some would look at 60 but a lot of them looked at 90 minutes so from a clinical point of view from sleep they were sort of looking at a 90 minute cycle so don't laugh Jessica but anybody who knows about you know the UK and football, soccer, is the length of a football game, a soccer game is 90 minutes. <laughs> and in the middle of that, there's a break where you have to sort of hydrate and refocus and maybe fuel up a little bit. And then you go into the second half of that period. So you can't go for a whole 90 minutes. Right? That's, that's not good. You have to have this 
balanced approach. So five 90 minute cycles is 7.5 hours. We all know about the eight hour scenario, get your eight hours, 30 odd percent of 24, the circadian rhythms and all that. Stuff. So it's kind of, so let's talk about sleep cycles. Let's talk about sleeping in cycles. Should we do four cycles or five cycles or three cycles? How we can change that it's not about just waking up in the morning and then there's only so many hours left before you go to do it again and forcing yourself to sleep or trying to sleep. What we're doing is we're creating harmony and rhythm and pattern. So we just chop our day up into 90 minute cycles. It takes the emphasis away from this hours thing and that eight hours thing. But you're on a five cycle routine, which is 7.5 hours. Fine, cool. Then, so that became the sort of the R90, you know, recovery in 90 minute cycles. That's what it's about, recovery in 90 minute cycles. So it's not about actually sleeping. It's actually what you do from the point of wake. Mm. It reveals the quality of sleep because you're helping your brain along with chronotypes and circadian rhythms and all sorts. You're helping your brain through that rolling 24 hour process rather than Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Is the sun doesn't have that. It's just a rolling natural about rhythm and pattern. So suddenly we start to create some rhythm and pattern. So we have 90 minute periods. So we then get 16 stages. We then get four phases of the day. And so we can start to be a little bit more, what do we do in the first phase of the day? What do we do in the second phase of the day? What's happening in the third phase of the day? And what's happening in the fourth phase of the day? What's happening every 16 stages? From the point of weight, consistency. So we just started to, you know, as you can hear, yeah. the language just starts to change and what you know what we all love I mean I classify myself as a coach these days but you know I'm, I'm not trained as a coach but what coaches love is to be able to see things so right. they can it can be revealed in front so okay so we could be doing four cycles there a little cycle there a little cycle there. and so you can start to sort of see where periods of uh, where you're going to put that under pressure rather than this just random every day go to sleep at night approach so that was the core of it and then how do you bring somebody to that point of you know polyphasic sleeping as they call it monophasic sleeping just tap it in your browser you know pre-electric light bulb humans never tried to sleep in one block so okay that's another way of dealing with schedules is actually look back at our history and go that's a better approach than just doing one block so how do you bring somebody to that point? And so what it happened is that first of all, I'd have to explain the circadian rhythm, um, but focus really on just sun around the planet, melatonin, serotonin, you know, the one makes you go, the other one shows you down, you know, that kind of language. Right. So you need to sort of emphasize this chronotype, this little genetic twist. Uh, so now we've got them in a place where they're starting to understand that they're actually a human being with right. the brain and bodily function. So actually, oh right, so we are completely synchronized to this process. Yes, you are. Uh, and we do have this little, yeah, yeah, is that why I, you know, I'm literally hitting the snooze button. We're only 30 minutes away from the training ground, but I'm still hitting it at 8.30, just trying to get every lap. But the other guys are flying around from six o'clock. So that's what it is, yeah. Then you can move them into this cycle process then it makes more sense then 
pre and post sleep routines start to have more it's not just what you do at the end of the day it's almost too late it's what you do at the start of the day and while you're awake putting these things together then you start to you can't tell people to, you know recovery sometimes means you're doing nothing but actually no it's there's intense mental and physical activity but there's also recovery activity right. you're awake but this is about recovery oh i see so doing that is actually recovery yeah 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 just point your brain in a different direction. It visualizes something different. It processes it like that and creates this inside of you. Amazing. You know, that's what happens when you stand by the sea or the river, you know? Or you look at a nice picture. Really? Yeah, that's what's happening. It's your brain doing this, right? So you just point it. And then environment. And so we started getting involved with, you know, elite athletes just going to hotels. And What is this hotel? It's not designed for us. It's designed for anybody who comes near the place, you know, with viruses, you know, all sorts of stuff. The products are not for us. You know, so why are we sticking elite athletes in these places that are just nothing to do with? So maybe we can make some changes because as human beings, we can sleep anywhere, anytime, on anything, any place. Just look at the population on this planet, you know. And so it's sort of like, what are the key sort of, triggers for the brain to allow us to go into a sleep state and reveal these stages this this rhythm those are the key things predominantly around familiarization and bringing the outside inside and things like that and then number seven became like well what are they sleeping on you know they've got all their equipment is made for them you know their nutrition plans are designed for them Mm-hmm. And yet we just go sleep on that with that. That can't be right. right. So because of my background experience in the sleep industry and product, I was able to go, well, you we can actually have a product that is designed for a particular body profile and shape. But the retailers take all that information off because anybody can buy their product. Mm. Right? Because you, you don't sort of go into a bed shop, do you, and say, I'm a size nine foot. I'd like a size nine trainer. Right. Now, which trainer is somewhat irrelevant from that point, but you have to have a size nine. Right. You know, you could go for a size nine and a half because one foot is slightly different to the other foot and you might need a little inner sole or whatever, but you can't go to a size eight. Right. That's wrong. You can't get your foot in it. So it's kind of like, well, and as you, I think we mentioned off air, it's sort of like, well, everybody's talking about soft and medium and hard and firm and this and thousands of springs and all that sort of random marketing, excuse my French, bullshit. Okay. <laughs> uh, not to sacrifice the French, but let's just say world bullshit. Yes. Um, and it's just like, well, according to medical things, there are things called ectomorphs, mesomorphs and endomorphs. And it's about shoulders and hips, it's about body weight, it's about shape, it's not about overweight, it's about shape. So if we take that shape and drop it into a surface and get a really nice balanced alignment, and you know, I've read that, you know, the brain really likes this fetal position, protecting its, you know, heart and genitals curled up in a nice fetal position, and we want this nice postural alignment. So maybe that's where we should go. And so then, so it sort of, you sort of sat down and go, Okay, so this is the process. So step one, circadian rhythm. Step two, chronotype. Step three, cycles rather than hours. Step four, pre and post. 
Number five, balanced activity and recovery. Number six, environment. And seven, product. So 24-7, seven days a week, seven key areas. You know, within there, you can make little aggregational marginal gains of changing this practical stuff. And so we'll call it the R90 technique. And it, it's just a little journey through that process. And one of the reasons that environment and product are number six and number seven is that most people put number seven first. Mm. When they get into, if they struggle with sleep, we, we do things in isolation, Jessica. It's like get a supplement, get some eye masks, get an app, get this, get that. It's all in isolation because we don't go to, like we go to personal trainers or osteopaths, or whatever. We, we're fully aware, but it's not in our DNA to knock on the door of a sleep coach or, or even go to the GP and talk about it. So most people, their first point of call is to spend money on a mattress with lots of features and thinking that that's going to resolve the other things when actually it's not that. That's, that, that is just a, a side thing that, you know, coaching sleep is all about. I can coach to sleep on the floor up the side of a mountain, on a boat, in a hotel, right. you know, on a sofa, on a plane. Right. So I think that's why the sort of, the, the technique evolves over the years, is that as we got asked to face with different types of challenges and, and sports science became more open and data collection became more open and it was more, you know, you know, we were changing our whole behavior around sport, is that it allowed me to keep developing those ideas and thoughts they weren't it wasn't something that like somebody would say oh we're not doing that it was actually this is an area where we could have so much fun so much fun because it, it's almost like a i wonder what benefits we could find in that in that right. level, you know because it takes up more time than training than events <laughs> anything else it takes right. up more yeah, we focus so much on these other bits, but this bit takes up 30 percent of everything we do, and we're not actually in control of it. That's nuts. Right. So there was just a few open-minded people along that route that kept me going. Um, but it wasn't a sort of planned journey. It was just certain little things cropped up that enabled us to do it. And, uh, you know, in the you certainly started to see that people started to talk about, you know, somebody like Usain Bolt, for example, everybody knows him, is nobody's been tracking his sleep. Right. Nobody's been data collecting sleep. He's been doing just what everybody else does is, there's nothing better to do, he goes to sleep, you know, and that's it. And the coaches aren't looking at it, nobody, but he's the fastest man on the planet. And the difference, you know, so some people kind of get away with it, Mm. Um, there are unique individuals, but it's kind of like if you want to go faster or you want to be more consistent in your performance, then maybe that's the area to look into. Right? That's the area where you might find some real gains in your own particular sport. Because um, a lot of it, it's not about the adrenaline. It's not about all of that excitement about an event about doing something positive. Performance reveals itself normally in the final stages of anything, you know, right. whether that's the meter sprint 
it's just a chest, isn't it? It's mm -hmm. just a tiny chest. If it's a Formula One driver, it could be a millisecond. Right. Um, if you're a marathon runner, it's going to be that last kilometer, isn't it? That's right. what's going to kill you. Not the first one or the middle <laughs> one. It's going to be the last one that's going to kill you. No, I love you answered so many questions that I wanted to ask in that one slew of information. Okay, so thank okay. you. So no, and for me, because it's about, you know, realizing whether it is performance or recovery, but the fact that your explanation of how the program came about was so all encompassing shows how important sleep is. It's not just about the actual laying down at night. It's about the entire day. And that's yeah. exactly what that explanation went to. I, I appreciate that because I think people will be really taking that for a lot of insight because a lot of people I know here don't sleep. <laughs> it's just some <laughs> Americans just don't sleep and they're constantly tired and they really do, you know, in my, I say gaff off, they gaff it off and they just continue. And I'm like, you know, you're not going to get the performance you want when you have to put in 30 plus 50 miles a week because you're in a training plan. So huge huge information coming from nick here and we are going to close this session and we're going to get into a deeper conversation in our next session with nick talking more advanced information about athletics and sleeping and recovery and performance i really hope you enjoyed that session with nick Littlehales. make sure you find your way to the description so you can find the advanced session to our interview with Nick as well as all of the other experts that we interviewed during the Marathon Training Summit. Enjoy everybody. Have a nice day. You're listening to the Run Pain-Free Podcast brought to you by the Run Pain-Free Academy featuring biomechanics, athletic injury correction, and conditioning expert Jessica Marie Rose Leggio. Subscribe to us as you leave a positive review on iTunes. 